Heavenly Father, we come before you today. We've come before you today to hear your word, to sing your praises. And Lord, we do confess that your name is wonderful. That it's only in your name that we have salvation. It's only in your name that we have hope for today. And it's only in your name, Lord, that we have hope for whatever comes in the future and for eternity. So Lord, your name is wonderful. And I pray that we would build our lives upon that foundation, the foundation of you, of who you are, and of what you have accomplished for us. And Lord, as, as uh, our lives are, are built by you upon uh, the rock, uh, Lord, I pray that we would begin to uh, display or continue to display within our lives this wisdom, this wisdom from above, uh, that we would not be taken captive by so-called wisdom that is not from above, but Lord, that you would uh, so transform us uh, that we would have the mind of Christ and that we would understand that to have true wisdom is to think like you, to feel like you, and to act like you. Uh, to, to be a reflection of Jesus to our world. So I pray that your word would come forth today and that by your Holy Spirit that you would move within our hearts and our minds that this word would indeed uh, accomplish the purpose for which you have sent it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it is good to see each and every one of you here today. This is the day that the Lord has made. And I pray that each and every one of you are rejoicing in it and that you are glad in it because of who God is and because of what he has accomplished for you and because of what he has uh, promised to all of us. So we come before his word today. We're going to be looking at, at James, but before we get into uh, reading uh, the passage, I'd like to tell a story. No one, no one wants to be the dumb one in the group. Nobody wants to be the dumb guy in the group, right? When I was a young adult, I took a group of kids from our youth group in Marysville on one of those Argosy cruises. All of the youth groups in the area, Linwood, this church, and Everett and Seattle and Marysville, we all got together, and for some reason we decided to take uh, kids on an Argosy cruise. Well, after we got off of this, this boat, and uh, we were uh, kind of looking around the Seattle waterfront. Back in that day, you could actually take the youth group down to the Seattle waterfront at night, and you didn't have to worry about anything. But after the, uh, the cruise, there was a man who, who came up to me, and he seemed so honest and sincere. He told us that he was stuck in Seattle, and that he just needed enough money to get a ferry ticket. And um, so, so I believed his sad and tragic story. And there was another guy from the youth group. He took the bait, too. We both ended up giving him enough money to, to buy a ferry ticket. Again, no one wants to be the dumb guy in the group. But I must admit it, at times, I've been, I've been the dumb guy in the group. As the man walked away with our cash, probably snickering to himself about our stupidity, we realized that we'd been scammed. So we approached two Seattle police officers, and, uh, and I told them the whole story, hoping for justice and thinking that we had solved a major crime and thinking that we had finally uh, redeemed ourselves by catching a professional con man. Uh, you probably know what the Seattle police officers did after we told them the story. They laughed at me. 
No one wants to be the dumb guy in the group. MLB pitcher Van Vern Law said that wisdom is a hard teacher. She gives the test first, the lesson afterwards. Wisdom is a hard teacher. The test comes first, then the lesson afterwards. Thankfully for us who trust in the Lord, there is a wisdom that is from above. A wisdom that comes from God. In James, in chapter 1, verse 5, he says, If if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. And then James says, and it will be given to him. Are you like me? Do you need the wisdom that comes from above? The wisdom that only God can give? We've been given this promise in the scripture that if we lack wisdom, that we can ask God for wisdom, and that he gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Would you please stand for the reading of our gospel, or not our gospel lesson, but our uh, sermon text today. James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. James writes, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not, be, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Here ends the reading. You may be seated. In James chapter 3, in James 3, 13 through 18, James expands upon this wisdom that comes from above. He tells us what this wisdom is, and he tells us what this wisdom is not. So who is wise and understanding among you, James says? Who is wise and understanding among you? James says, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Did you get that? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness or in the humility of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy, if you have this, this selfish ambition, if there's this bitterness and the selfish ambition in your hearts, he says, don't boast. Don't boast and be false to the truth. Because this is not the wisdom that comes down from above. But he says, rather, it's earthly. It's unspiritual. And it's even demonic. The wisdom from above, first of all, the wisdom from above is not. Number one, the wisdom from above, the wisdom that God gives, it is not ambition with self-serving motives. 
ambition with self-serving motives. That is not the wisdom that comes from above. And where you have this, this ambition, this ambition that has this uh, self-serving motive to it, in other words, it's all about me, there you'll have jealousy. You'll have boasting, this arrogant boasting and falsehood. And James says that ultimately this ambition with self-serving motives comes from that which is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Ambition with self-serving motives is, is the wisdom of our world. The wisdom of our world says, look out for number one. What really matters in life is me. What matters in life is me and what I can get out of life today. The wisdom of the world says that the world revolves around me. And what I want today or what I want now or what I want for the future is what really matters. That's the wisdom of this world. And then when, when somebody gets something that you desire, then there's this jealousy. Well, he got that house that I've always dreamed of having, or, or she got that car that I've always wanted. Or she has the, 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 the husband of, of, of my dreams, or the wife of my dreams. Or the life that I could only, that I could only imagine in my mind. And this jealousy arises. Or if we happen to obtain that which we want and that which we desire, then we end up boasting and we say, look at me, look at what I've done, and look at what I've accomplished in life. So the world says, look out for number one. The world says, don't worry about who you step on. Don't worry about who you hurt. As long as you get what you want. And then the, these people, they'll serve and they'll do good. So long as the spotlight's on them. So long as their service and their good deeds advance their own selfish agenda and their own selfish motivation. The wisdom that is from above, it's, it's not ambition with self-serving motives. It's not about me. It's not about what I want. It's not about my success. It's not about my happiness. That's not the wisdom from above, this ambition with self-serving motives. But the wisdom that comes from above is this. James says that the wisdom that comes from above, from the Holy Spirit, is pure, peaceable, gentle, 
reasonable, merciful, good, impartial, and sincere. James almost gives us another list of the fruits of the Spirit. Motivation with, with, uh, or ambition with selfish motives is, is the opposite of all of these things. There's no purity. There's no peace. There's no gentleness. It's not reasonable. There's no mercy or goodness. It's not impartial, but it's partisan. It's about dividing people. Politically or, or, or by opinions. It's not sincere. But where we have ambition with a, with a servant's heart, there there's a harvest of righteousness, James says. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This ambition with self-serving motives never brings about peace and unity within the family, within society, or within the church. And we've seen it. We've we've witnessed it. It doesn't bring forth a harvest of righteousness. It doesn't bring forth peace. So ultimately, bottom line, what does it mean to live with this wisdom from above? This wisdom, sometimes we think of wisdom, well, if I get all these degrees, if I fill my mind with all of this knowledge, then I'll have wisdom. So people pursue all sorts of of degrees or of of knowledge. Other people says that the wisdom comes from, from experience or from the school of hard knocks. Uh, so, so wisdom comes from this experience, this, this sort of uh, being street smart and knowing how the world really works. And certainly both are good. It's good to have the wisdom that comes uh, from, from education or from books or, or to have the experience of life and to know how, how the world really works through the school of hard knocks. Those are, are not bad things. What the Bible says about wisdom is this, that wisdom, true wisdom, is from above. It's to have the mind of Christ. To have the wisdom from above is to think like Jesus. To think like Jesus. To, to, um, to feel like Jesus. And how did Jesus feel when he saw the crowds, they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd? He felt what? He felt compassion for them. And it's to act like Jesus. To think like Jesus, to feel like Jesus, to act like Jesus. That's what it means to live with wisdom. To live with wisdom. 
Brothers and sisters in Christ, you are called to live as a reflection of Jesus Christ. That's wisdom. To live as a reflection of Jesus Christ. To live as a reflection of Jesus Christ before one another within the Christian community and within your families, within your workplaces, and within the community. That's wisdom. But sadly, all too often when people encounter Christians, they don't encounter a community that reflects Christ. A community of people that that thinks and feels and acts like Jesus. Too often, in the place of Christian love, they encounter an unloving and a disjointed bunch of people who don't reflect Jesus. They bear the name of Christ. They They might talk the talk. But in, in their thinking, in, their, in the way they feel, their disposition, um, and in the way they act, there, there's, no, there's no reflection of Jesus. That's sad. People enter into a, the Christian community, and they don't encounter Christ. When I was pastoring in New York, uh, the mother of a little girl from the neighborhood, and this is a little girl that our kids played with, and her mom was was out in our church playground. So I got to talking with her about her experience, and she said, yeah, I grew up going to church. And she said it was a very, very legalistic group of people. And uh, she said, really, all they cared about was maintaining their church. Maintaining their church. And then she, she said this, and they didn't even love each other. They didn't even love each other. Everything that they did within that community was about maintaining the church, but without love. There is no wisdom in maintaining a church without love. And what do you think that experience did in her heart and in her life? When she grew up in a church and the people didn't love each other, she didn't want to have anything to do with church. Nothing at all. She was completely turned off by her experience within the Christian community. So the question I have is, do you have the wisdom of Christ? If you have the wisdom of Christ, you're going to reflect the way he thinks, the way he feels, and the way he acts among each other and to this world that desperately is looking for hope. And I pray that that when people encounter us here at Maple Park Church, that they will sense Christ in us. Not some other agenda that really doesn't matter. There are a lot of important agendas out there. There are a lot of important things that that we can be for or against. But what really matters is Christ. Not my preference. Not what I want. But Jesus. Reflecting him. Thinking like him. Feeling like him. And acting like him. So wisdom is defined in a person. You want wisdom? You look to one person. And who is that person? Jesus. 
don't look to me, I'll end up being scammed. Look to Jesus. He is not only the example of wisdom, he is the source of wisdom. He is the only source of wisdom. So if you want to be wise, here's what, here's what, we, what we're called to do. Repent of our sin and trust in Jesus. Turn from our old unwise ways and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Proverbs 3, 5 through 8 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Are you trusting in the Lord with all your heart? I'm still learning. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Are you still leaning on your own understanding? Verse 6 of Proverbs 3. In all your ways acknowledge him. Acknowledge him and, and he promises this and he will make your paths straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. And turn away from evil. Then we're given this promise. It will be healing to your fl flesh. And refreshment to your bones. How do we live out Proverbs five, 3, 5, and 8? How do we come to the place where we are so transformed. That Jesus has, has dug in to us. He's dug into our minds. He's dug into our hearts. We've experienced such transformation that we begin to think, feel, and act like him. The answer to becoming more like Jesus is to be a people of the word of God. That, that's how Jesus digs into our minds and into our hearts and into our lives. He does it through his word. And as we open his word, we receive the wisdom of Christ. And it has the power to transform. The only source of transformation we have is God's word. In God's word, your Bible is a treasure it's a treasure. It's a treasure to dig into. If, if you were told that uh, by, by some expert that I guarantee you that there is a treasure worth millions of dollars buried in your backyard, what are you going to start doing today? You're going to get a shovel out, right? And you're going to start digging. Because you want that gold, right? Or whatever's in there, the jewels. But sadly, we fail to recognize the treasure that is before us in God's Word. In 2004, a, a painting by Anna Mary Robertson, better known as Grandma Moses, was brought to the Antiques Roadshow for appraisal. How many of you enjoy watching the Antiques Roadshow, or are you used to at least at one time? This uh, lady, Grandma Moses, was born before the Civil War. Robertson didn't, make up, uh, didn't take up painting until later in her life. 
She had a primitive style that eventually became extremely popular. And her work began to command a high price. And now her paintings are astronomical. The man who, who brought the painting to be evaluated had lived nearby, and his mother was a friend of Grandma Moses. He said she was just a wonderful friend of the family, and she would let my mother buy these paintings, which she thought had relatively little value. And I guess my mom did too. She probably bought eight or ten paintings in all, and my guess would be for perhaps under ten dollars each. The painting that was uh, brought to the Antiques Roadshow that was purchased for probably under $10 was appraised at being worth $60,000. In her early days of painting, Grandma Moses didn't think her works as being very valuable. So she parted with them for next to nothing. Here's the point. How often do we give up that which is priceless that which is priceless for a little temporary pleasure or advantage, something for ourselves. How often do we abandon that which matters most for that which matters least? The best way to determine what matters the most to someone is not to hear what they say, but to see what they do. The things we pursue and give our lives to are the things that we value the most. And when we value what God values, we're on the path to wisdom. The only way we're ever going to know what God values is through his word. God's word is the treasure of wisdom. It transforms us by graciously causing us to value what God values. It, it graciously transforms us to, to think like Jesus, to feel like Jesus, to act like Jesus. But sadly, we, we fail to recognize the treasure that we've been given, the treasure that it is. In the Word of God, we hear not only how we are to think, how we're to feel, and how we're to act... The Word of God also contains the good news of what Jesus did. Of how Jesus thought. Of how Jesus felt. And of how Jesus acted. And we learn the wisdom of what Jesus did to win salvation for us. This is the good news of the gospel. And this is good news that we need to hear over and over and over again because every day we forget. We forget the treasure of the gospel, the treasure of what Jesus did for us. And we forget that it's the power of God to save and that it's the power of God to change us into a new creation in Christ Jesus. So we need to hear it preached into our ears and our hearts because we're prone to trust in ourselves rather than in Jesus who gives freely to all who repent and trust in him. We're prone to abandon Jesus. To think and to feel and act like something entirely different 
than Jesus. So we need this wisdom from above, this wisdom of the gospel, this wisdom of grace, this wisdom of mercy. Wisdom that is not from above is, is ambition with selfish motives. Now, there's nothing wrong with having ambition. And here's the good news. Jesus was full of ambition, wasn't he? Full of ambition. But his ambition was not selfish. What was Jesus' greatest ambition? And what is Jesus' greatest ambition today? You. You are his greatest ambition. The world is his greatest ambition. He loves you. He loves you. Have you heard it lately? His greatest ambition is you. I look at my life and I say, I'm unlovable. How can God love me? He forgives you through the cross. You're forgiven today. He imparts new life. It's yours today. This is wisdom. The world is going to say, this is foolishness. This is reckless. But this is wisdom. The basics. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is wisdom. The world would say that that type of investment is foolish. Some of you may have invested in the stock market or mutual funds or something, and you always want a wise investment, right? Here God is. Investing not just money or material things, but the very life of his son for a person like me. In you. The world says that's foolish. This is the wisdom of God and of Christ. That he loves you, that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. We we live in a world where people just like to throw away that which is useless, or that which is yesterday, or that which seems to have no use. And when we honestly look at at ourselves and, and of how we have failed God, He has every right to just just throw us out. But instead, he says, no, I take you and I I make you my own and I redeem you. I make you my new creation. My desire isn't to condemn, but to save and to restore. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. You believe in him? You're not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, 
And people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes into the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. In the end, we have no reason to boast or to have confidence in ourselves. It's all because of what he has done. It is by his grace. And again, some would say the extent to which Jesus reached out to us in love was foolish. Why love those people? On that first Good Friday, Jesus wasn't the dumb guy in the group. The world would say, he, he, that was dumb of him to do that. On that first Good Friday when he was tried and hung upon the cross. The world would say foolishness. But to us who are saved, we see Jesus on the cross. We see wisdom on display. A wisdom that manifests itself in sacrificial love for you and for the whole world. He is the source of wisdom. Turn to his word. Read his word. Trust in him. Let go of all those selfish ambition, all that, all that stuff that we think is so valuable. Let go of that stuff. Hold fast to Christ in faith, trusting in him alone. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this wisdom that's from above. Guard us and protect us from that which is foolish. Turn our eyes to you alone, so that in you we begin to live wise life, a wise life, of thinking like you, of feeling like you, and of acting like you. But it's all through your grace. It's all through the power of your Holy Spirit. It's your work. So we simply say... Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come and do this work in us. In Jesus' name we pray and all of God's children say, amen.